to the podcast, today's Voices of Conservation Science, and I'm Chris Guy, your host for today's podcast. This podcast focuses on people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. Today I'm here with Katie Sparks, and she is a graduate student in the Department of Ecology at Montana State University. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How about you? I am doing well. Yes. Um, you know, we always talk a little bit about the weather and uh, it warmed up a little bit, but I think we're going to get some snow and cold again, but then it's going to warm back up and springtime in Montana. That's, that's how it kind of goes cold and then warms up. So yeah, it's a new experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Katie, we like to start out with giving the listeners just a little bit of information about yourself, some background information, where you grew up, where you went to school. Um, can you start with that? Sure. Yeah, I grew up in south, uh, the south of Missouri, <laughs> southern <laughs> Missouri, kind of in the Ozark Mountains. Um, and I was homeschooled until ninth grade and then went to a really small private school where I graduated high school. And from there, I stuck around in the same area and went to Missouri State University for my undergrad and then ended up here. Oh, cool. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and love the Ozarks. I did a lot of fishing down Bull Shoals and, um, you know, the uh, Truman Reservoir in that area. I know that's a little further north, but man, I love the Ozarks. And I went to school at University of Missouri in Columbia, and we'd go down on her collection trips down in the Ozarks. That is a beautiful part of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, everyone here is, I'm from Missouri, and they're like, oh, it's all agriculture. And it's like, no, I'm from the Ozarks. we got the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, so it's, and it's really fun. I still have family back there, and it's so fun to go back and visit that country. Um, what I really like about it is versus Montana here is just the diversity, you know, in fish which i study and and you know just insects and things like that when you're out at night it's so loud with the frogs and the insects cicadas i just love it yeah yeah i definitely miss all of the the deciduous trees because there aren't as many here and fall fall in missouri is gorgeous fall here it was like ah oh, it's yellow <laughs> <laughs> i know isn't that funny people are like oh you, you know the aspens are turning and yeah they're pretty <laughs> um but man it's nothing like the, the hardwoods mm -hmm. in the ozarks yeah it's beautiful down there um so then you went to missouri state and that's in springfield you got your bachelor's degree and did you say was that in biology mm -hmm. yep in biology and i minored in mathematics Ooh, minor in mathematics. Nice. Um, and then where did you, did you do anything between your Missouri State University and then coming to Montana State University? Yeah, um, it was actually kind of a crazy <laughs> intercession there because I got out of my undergrad and it was, you know, the summer of 2020 and everything had shut down. And my initial plan was like, oh, I'm just going to go straight into the job force. Um, and, you know, at that time, they had shut everything down. Pretty much nobody was hiring. And so I started just like maniacally applying to every place possible, like internships, tech, like tech positions, temporary positions, just anything I could find. Like I applied to over a hundred places. Wow. <laughs> and 
finally got, I was really lucky, I got a position at Oak Ridge National Lab working with Dr. Jeff Warren. And so that was a really, really good internship that I had. Yeah, what a challenging time to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to try and move on in your career. Wow. Um, you had to be a little, I don't know, maybe you weren't a little worried, a little frustrated, probably a lot of fe uh, unique feelings, right? Yeah, it was stressful for sure because it was like, oh, I have this degree. What am I going to do with it if no one's going to hire me? Um, mm -hmm. But it all worked out in the end, so that was good. Yeah, and so you did that internship, and we'll talk about this later, but then after that, you made it to, to, to obviously, to Montana State here. Um, so you, you got this degree in biology, and, you know, you obviously have an interest in the outdoors. What really compelled you to pursue this con this degree in or career in conservation what got you you know what there's so many things right that you could have went mm -hmm. and done and why this what got you started yeah I'm sure like I'm sure most people their answer is something along the lines of like oh I've always been interested in the outdoors like always love being outside and I'm not really going to stray from that because <laughs> I definitely all like all through childhood was outside playing with my siblings you know climbing trees <laughs> especially um and so that was probably you know I just like being outside I have fun and makes me feel better and for me personally, another big factor of me like getting into conservation um, is that I'm a Christian and most people, you know, you hear like, oh, you're a Christian, you're going to be against conservation or like God's taking care of it, you know, like that kind of thing. But for me, it was always like, you know, God put us here for a reason and he gave us all of this awesome creation to be able to enjoy. So you should obviously take care of it. Like... <laughs> what what other logic is there that kind of thing um yeah that's that's great so that that came early on did you had that for uh you know when you were in high school or even before then were you thinking about that yeah I mean it's always definitely been I guess part of who I am honestly um and just part of my ethical system um I did like in terms of actually choosing it as a career, I jumped around a lot and it was something that I just like kept coming back to because <laughs> like my college, I started as a double major with history and biology. I was going to get a double major and I was like, ah, this is what I should do. <laughs> and turns out I didn't enjoy history as much. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll try, you know, like something else. And I switched and I was a different double major and didn't like the other one either. So I switched back and I was just biology for a while. And mm -hmm. uh, that was when I decided to minor in mathematics and not do a double major because <laughs> a lot of work. That is a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's cool. So you, you had that and the, so the biology thing just kept, you just kept coming back. That was kind of this foundation. It seemed like that degree was, was, was foundational for you. And then, you know, going back to, you know, being outside and, and, you know, you, I'm guessing you collected things and, you know, in Southern Missouri, it's so fun to collect things. And, you know, what was your, like your favorite thing to collect as a kid? Did you have something? Yeah. I was kind of like, you know, like one of those kids that 
I just like doing things that everyone else thought was like lame or dumb or, you know, like I was, I was the hipster before hipsters. Like, were cool. <laughs> and so all my friends were like, ew, bugs are gross. And I was like, ah, <laughs> that's something that I can do. And <laughs> so I, I think that was the first thing that I really collected was like, I found all these bugs and I was like, these are cool. And especially spiders, because normally like they shrivel up when you wait. Uh, like if you try to preserve them, they just shrivel and turn into raisins. So I really freaked my mom out because I preserved them in our freezer. And so growing up, like as a child, I just, we had a freezer that had at least five spiders in it at a time. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, and so yeah, yeah, you had this, um, love of nature, if you will, from early on. And then that was solid. It, uh, you know, kept coming back to that foundation in, in college and the biology, and then you got the, the gig at Oak Ridge and through all that, I mean, you touched a little bit on challenges certainly during a pandemic what a what a challenge that is but i'm curious if you have any other challenges that you know through this journey to where you're at today you're at a really good spot today in graduate school at montana state university that's a pretty cool thing and you know are there other challenges that you had as you were you know on this career trajectory yeah definitely um I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but like, I feel like I was my own biggest challenge, I guess. Um, I have like a, I have a pretty big issue of just doubting myself of being like, ah, I don't think I can do that. And that kind of thing. Um, and so I always, before I start anything, have to convince myself that I think that I can do it before I actually start doing it. And I think my favorite quote is that doubt what is it doubt crushes more dreams than failure ever will and I really like that because it really helped me to be like okay just because I'm doubting myself doesn't mean that I can't do this thing and like um just try and if you fail it's not a big deal um so that was kind of like my biggest hurdle was to just be able to be like okay with failing or the potential of failing yeah and and you know we've we hear this a fair amount on the on the podcast and i think a little self doubt's good right i think it makes you it checks yourself and and mm-hmm. you should have that because then it might even make you better at what you want to do you try harder and and but the thing you don't want to do is have it consume you right to where you don't go pursue the things that you really want to pursue and do you have any tips for how you got around that? Mm. <laughs> it really was kind of just like, you know, Nike, just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, For me, because like, as soon as I started doing whatever it was that I didn't think that I could do, it was really like, oh, yeah, maybe I can do this. And I was fine. Um, it was just that initial like, starting something new that always scared me. Um, And once I realized that of like, okay, I just need to know that like, it might suck, you know, like this thing that I'm trying that's new, like the transition period might just be bad. 
Um, but once I get through that, it'll be really cool. Yeah. And other people got there, you know, yeah. or, or did that. So, you know, I'm just as good as those other people. So that's the <laughs> attitude, right? If somebody else mm-hmm. can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that really like hit home with me, somebody told me like, Hey, you know, you don't have to be the best at something to enjoy doing it. And I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> and so that's helpful. Cause I'm always super competitive of like, Oh, I need to be the best or I shouldn't do it at all. But that's not, that's not logical. It's not reasonable. You're listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science, and I'm here with Katie Sparks, and she is a graduate student in the Department of Ecology. So, Katie, um, we're going to switch gears now and talk a little bit about your research, or a lot about your research, however you want to, however you want to take this. And what are you studying? Yeah, so I'm studying whitebark pine and foxtail pine. They're both species that are members of the high elevation five needle fascicled pines which is fun because then we call them high five pines (laughs) and we're essentially looking to see because they're having a lot of trouble um, with the climate change and continuing to persist in the ecosystems that are pretty severely altered Um, so we're just trying to understand how the future changes are going to continue to affect them when you say they're having trouble, what do you what do you mean by having trouble? They can't grow, they can't produce seeds, or you know, is it all of the above? Uh, it's actually kind of all of the above. So white bark pine specifically, um, it's actually listed as an endangered species now because of all the issues that it's facing. Um, there's a lot of stressors that are kind of coming at it from all different angles. Um, and so we've we've seen like huge levels of dieback. Um, I think right now 54% of them are dead. Wow. So it's pretty alarming. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, it's like you have abiotic stressors that are one thing. You have biotic stressors coming at it from another angle. And then those two together, you get like just a vicious cycle of, uh, not a good situation for mm-hmm. the trees. And when you're talking about abiotic stressors, you're talking about things affecting like water and temperature, right? That could be affecting it that are, that are changing with climate change. When you mean biotic stressors, what, what biotic stressors are you talking about? Yeah. So, um, kind of the two main ones that are really hurting the trees right now are, um, mountain pine beetle, which is really killing off a lot, and then white pine blister rust, which is a fungal infection. Mm-hmm. And so then are you are you looking at both those, abiotic and biotic, on um, the white bark and the foxtail pine? Did I get that right, foxtail pine? Yeah, you got that right, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, no, I'm... So I'm just looking at the abiotic side and I'm actually only looking at drought stress, um, trying to kind of tease out how drought will affect the trees specifically um, in hopes that that information can then be used uh, to help with the conservation and like management strategies that they're coming up with to 
preserve them from the biotic stressors like the the mountain pine beetle. And then, so uh, tell us a little bit about your experiments. How do you test that? How do you test drought and effects on these species? Well, we have a lot of seedlings, <laughs> and and so we're gonna we're gonna over the summer um, not give them as much water, <laughs> essentially. Like so are you doing in really... this in a lab, or you do this out in the mountains? No, we actually have all of our seedlings in the greenhouse, and I guess I should clarify: like my project is specifically on seedlings, and so we're not looking at adult trees at all, which is important because the seedlings are the ones that have the highest mortality rate. Okay. And so you have these seedlings in the lab and then you have an experiment with say different treatments of water and then you're met. What do you measure? Uh, a lot of different things. <laughs> I was kind of overwhelmed when I first got here because my advisor was like, okay, you're going to measure this and this and this and this and this. And then she kept going and I was like, Oh no. <laughs> um, but the, I guess, I think the most interesting things that we're measuring are the non-structural carbohydrates and the volatile organic compounds. Um, and it's essentially, it kind of gives us an idea of like what the tree's going to do with the carbon that it allocates, like where, where it's going to put its resources towards. So like whether it's going to put its resources to growing above ground and needle production versus putting roots on or something like that? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, not exactly. Um, it's more like a growth defense trade-off situation where if it's in, like if it's in a good, healthy environment, you would see like the NSP levels would be at a certain point and you would see like the composition would be so, you know, like, in such a way, you know. Um, and did you say NSC? What is that? Non-structural <laughs> carbohydrate. Okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to play ignorant here. I don't know what that means for a tree. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, humans, we have um, the different sugars that are in our blood system that travel around to provide resources to the different organs and limbs and whatnot that's kind of essentially what nsds are for plants um they're non-structural so they don't take up any of the actual structure <laughs> um so they're not like the building blocks for the actual tree um but they travel around and they take the resources to the different parts of the plant okay and so you're gonna apply different water level, different water level treatments and measure the NSCs. Yep. NSCs and then the VOCs also are the second part of that because with, and the VOCs are volatile organic compounds and they're essentially the tree's way of like defending against predators. I guess not really predators, but like herbivores <laughs> um, and the pests that come. And so it's, uh, with that growth defense trade-off, you're looking at the relationship essentially between the NSCs and the VOCs, because if it's stressed, it's going to put more of its energy towards defense, which would be the VOCs. And if it's feeling good, it's going to have more of the NSCs. Mm -hmm. And then how do you pick 
the water levels to give to the trees? How do you pick what those treatments are? You know, like <clears throat> I could, I typically overwater my house plants and I know what that <laughs> does. <laughs> but I, and, you know, I don't, I don't pick a good value, obviously. So how do you pick the values to, of, of the amount of water, I guess, or drought? Yeah, it's a tricky question for sure because it's also a question of like what level of severity do you want your drought to be? Do you want it to be like moderate? Do you want it to be fluctuating? Do you want it to be severe? And for my specific project, I want to get as much of like a response as I can possibly get so that I can see what's going on. Like I don't want it to be a muted response. I want it to be like, oh, this is really obvious. The reason I asked that question is I was thinking your treatments and treatment combinations could be infinity. I mean, it could be handleless, right? You could say we're going to yeah. water this much in the morning and we're going to have you know, you're just doing water, but you could have all these different combinations of how you're watering, when you're watering, you know, mm -hmm, how much. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to pick pick something somewhere. Do you have an idea of what water level is, you know, the the amount of rainfall or whatever from that's that these trees experience out in the wild and how that's going to change as a function of climate change? Yeah, um, kind of. So what we're trying to do with the drought that we're simulating, like on the one hand, we're trying to make sure like, okay, we want to get these trees as drought stressed as possible without them dying because we don't want them to die. We can't get, as, we can still get measurements from them if they die, but not as many and not as useful. Um, so you want, you want to keep that balance there. Uh, but then there's also the aspect of like, you do want to simulate what we're supposing is going to happen according to climate models, uh, like what they're currently predicting. And so we're definitely looking at that too, to be like estimating, you know, what's the annual precipitation going to be 50 years from now, or you get something like along those lines right. um, is definitely another decision factor. Yeah, I think at some point you would want that or maybe that's an experiment further down or, or another master student or something because that's how you would want to inform management, right? If, if you know, you said, you know, this these plants can tolerate this amount, but once it gets past this, we're in, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe yep. we already know that because they're, they're already dying, <laughs> but it's a combination of factors, as you said right now. So, you know, thinking about your the end of your study, if you can think that far, um, <laughs> and you have like a crystal ball, what would be the what would be the best thing you could discover with your research? Honestly, probably the best thing is like, you know, maybe I'll find out that they're more like way more drought resistant than we expect that they would be, and that okay, now we can cross that off the list of things that we have to worry about. That's probably not the case, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Um, but that that would be a like 
it wouldn't be necessarily a good finding for my thesis because then it wouldn't be like <laughs> a really obvious result, but it would be a good finding for the actual trees. But it would be for your thesis. I mean, if, <laughs> it really is. Those kind of results, I know they don't hit the headlines of the highbrow <laughs> journals, but those results are very, very important. So if you found something, we found no response or not a negative response <clears throat> at this amount of, uh, you know, drought we simulated, um, you're right. That would be kind of cool. And then we can focus on something else and maybe make the problem a little bit simpler. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So now we're down to the, what we like to call a softball question, but for some people it isn't the softball question. And um, we'll just see how you go with this. What's your favorite <laughs> animal, plant, or both? Animal, plant, or, oh, or both. Or both. Um, <laughs> let's if see. If it's too so, tough to pick two, just pick one. <laughs> so I'm going to do both because okay. I like animals and I like plants. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my favorite animal, I'm really torn because I like frogs a lot, but I also really, really like cats. And so, like, it's definitely a hard tie between those two, um, which are very different animals. And I yeah, go back. Yeah, that is. Uh, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> and the right. cats eat the frogs, so, you yeah. know, it's just the whole thing. <laughs> um, that's as complicated think, as evaluating drought on <laughs> Yeah. And then probably my favorite plant is silver maples, which is a bummer because I looked up there like their species range and they don't come out here. Um, Katie, thanks for visiting today and sharing your life experiences and research on high elevation pines. And I wish you the best of luck in your studies at Montana State University. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoy the podcast, we would like to hear from you and please share a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also provide a comment at todaysvoices.montana.edu. Thanks for listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science, and please spread the word about this podcast.